The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Good evening. Merry Christmas and welcome to Engaging Truth. I'm your guest host, Jonathan Schultz, and I'm here with the Reverend David Schultz, my father, uh, to reflect back on six decades of ministry, Christmas, and the future of the Great Commission. So I'd love to start at the very beginning, as I suspect many of our listeners have never heard how you made the decision to enter the ministry. Well, thank you for the invite, uh, son Jonathan. It's an interesting it's an interesting story how uh, God called me to ministry. Not interesting in the sense of how it happened or how it could have happened. Um, my dad was a minister, and so I saw ministry firsthand, exactly what it looked like. And uh, I saw the, the good things, and I saw some of the troublesome things, and I, th- I saw some of the heartfelt things. So really, it was not an encouragement for me because I was frightened by the things that, that he had to do, oftentimes that were difficult. But my mom kept on praying that I would somehow become like my dad, and I was, uh, I was challenged by this simply because of the fact from a little boy on, I had a speech impediment, and I had difficulty talking. I could not do the things that most young men could do, and so it was frightening for me to think in terms of how I could do this. And um, so, But you did what your dad did in those days. If your dad was a plumber, you became a plumber. If he was a carpenter, you became a carpenter. Say, well, my dad was a minister, so I'll become one. Not quite sure what that was going to mean, but it was not until I got into the seminary when we had to learn to preach and how I had to disguise my fear of the speech issue by putting rocks in my mouth and speaking through rocks like the orator Sosthenes did. And when I began to speak through the rocks, um, it became easier for me to deal with what I knew that I could not do ordinarily. And so on that particular Sunday that I was asked to preach for the first time in my grandparents' place in a suburb of Milwaukee, um, scared to death, my legs disappeared underneath me as I was standing in this very ornate pulpit. And especially right in the first row in front of me was a young lady smiling as if she knew something was happening in my life. And the moment that I began to speak, the sermon that I had memorized and memorized and memorized, the impediment went away. The Lord challenged me to trust him even to this point of the very beginning. So that's how it all began. Um, So now it's 60 years ago that I was ordained, and um, I'll be glad that God would continue to use me if he chooses to do so uh, at this age. So have there been inflection points along the way? 
throughout your ministry? Are there are there specific memories that are just seared? I'm thinking about this time of the year, it's Advent in preparation for Christmas. Um, Advent means coming. It's a it's a Latin word, um, advenio. It means coming. So there are two comings. Uh, we are we are going to celebrate again the coming of Jesus into the world, and the second coming is when He's going to return. And First Thessalonians says very clearly that He will return again in glory. And so um, that's what we consider during the Advent time as children when you were children in our home we used to have advent devotions in the evenings and sing um, hymns from the hymnal as you had memorized them in school and um, we would have prayer time but that's how advent began with you and your siblings um, in those early days so clearly our lives are punctuated by events and traditions and rituals, and here you are describing the our traditions inside of our family that were much more common many years ago. Um, are there other special memories that, that just stick with you that revolve around this Christmas holiday season? Well, there's a couple in particular. Well, there are really quite a few, but um, I remember early on uh, – as a child, probably four or five years old, the, each child would participate in the church Christmas program by um, saying something from the scriptures, by singing a Christmas hymn with other children. There are many different ways um, that that began but I remember preciously that after every Christmas Eve service, as a little child, that there was no money available to buy Christmas gifts. There were no Christmas gifts. Um, maybe the rich people somewhere that we did not know had money to buy Christmas gifts, but there were none. In the churches where my father was, um, there were no there were no gifts. But underneath the Christmas tree at church, there were bags, brown bags with children's names on them to give children. And in those bags was an orange and an apple, um, nuts and hard candy, and that was it. And we always made very, very sure as we took the home that was planted under the Christmas tree that our brothers or sisters didn't rob our bag. And we glad if it wasn't, it didn't have our name on it, we'd put it on so those were some of the early days, um, and I can remember that the reason there, there was no money during these times, it was the getting on to be the end of the Second World War. Uh, our father, my father and your grandfather, had the wonderful gift of being able to take care of people. And so... As he would take care of people, they would help supply him with a salary because there was no money that was available during those days for a pastor's salary. So in the collection plate, the offering plate, there was oftentimes put coupons, gas coupons, flower coupons, um, food coupons of something that my mother could use 
and shopping and the gas coupons my dad could use to put into the automobile to go visit people that he cared for in that church where he was. But there was one special occasion, Jonathan, that I'm probably uh, most moved by because this was right before the end of the Second World War, probably 1944, Christmas of 1944. Um, We knew there was no money to buy gifts, and so my father said, this is going to be a Christmas like all the Christmases of the past where you'll receive um, that bag of candy and goods, and that's going to be it. But strangely, we had the old garage of the parsonage in which we lived, in which you parked his car. The garage had a window door in it, and over that window he had placed paper. Well, that to us was suspicious. He taped paper over that window so we couldn't see what he was doing on the inside if he was doing something. And so along came a Christmas, and we kids never asked, and we never curious. We were not permitted to go in the garage. And finally, after Christmas Eve service that night, my father went into the garage and He brought out what he has been doing for weeks, maybe months, a dollhouse he handcrafted for my sister, my older sister. And for me, he made a a scooter out of a uh, a skate. And for my brother, a pop gun. But he handcrafted all these things out of wood. And that's what he was doing during that time. Why do I remember that one in particular? Because of the fact that there were times when we walked into the house of a parsonage or someplace where we were invited and gifts were stacked high, half as high as the tree. And those times were never for us as children and even for you and your siblings, it was not um, the kind of money necessary to buy all those expensive gifts. But I'll never forget that one where handcrafted gifts were the gifts that my father had made for all of us. That is a amazing memory. Makes me want to go get in the garage and build something here between now and the end of the year. <laughs> so thinking back on those brown bags um, full of fruit and candy, I only have one memory of that, and it was exactly at the time you said. It was at five years old. It was between one church building, which had been sold, and the new church building, which wasn't completed, and the Christmas service was in the school down the street. And for some reason, I remember that one vividly. Um, so um, it makes me think, why, why, do, why do you think we, we have these very unique, specific memories that just stay with us when so many years just, I mean, I, I see 10 years after that that I don't remember anything. I think because of the fact that um, our nature, our sinful nature would like us to believe that if there is to be a Christmas, it should be sumptuous. There should be lots and lots of things around. You have forgotten those sumptuous Christmases I have forgotten those, but I remember 
the Christmases were the handcrafted things made um, the Christmas special. And, and I keep thinking of how God has created the universe in which we live and the place in which we carry out our activities daily and our worship times. And the beauty of that is simply that we have the opportunity to think back upon sumptuous times or very hard times. And it's sometimes the hard times that we remember simply because of the fact that, that it made us the kind of people we are today. Selfless, Christ-centered people are willing to give. So after our look back, let's turn our sights to the future. If Charles Dickens' famous character, the Ghost of Christmas Future, came tonight to speak to America... What message would he be heralding? I would truly hope that it would be a message of hope and a message of challenge to our country. Um, we are living in some very difficult times, uh, morally difficult times, emotionally difficult times. Uh, how many times do we read every day of someone uh, just surrounding us somewhere? They are desperate to pay enough that they, they can stay in the apartment in which they are living. But I would hope that, sh- that, that he would come back and say something like this. Um, there is something better than what the world is offering. There is something better than the hopelessness in which much of the world is living. Um, what we live in and what I'd like to see you live in is a true hope, and that true hope is based upon not human intelligence, not the desire to want to do right, but based upon the Christ who came once for the sins of all the world. And he came in a manger, and he came as the gift from the Father in heaven to give to us what we could not gift ourselves with, and that is life and eternity. I would hope that that's the message that he would give. But, you know, um, I guess we'll have to be satisfied with this, that uh, the technology that's available today uh, to broadcast what we're doing today, the message of Christ and him crucified and risen, um, the, the message of the second coming of Christ, again, is the message that is going to resonate And it must resonate to the end of time, because without this message, there is no hope. So to to those that are entering this Christmas season, and they still have that empty place, that hole in their heart that can only be filled in one way, what's, what's the one thing, if you could just one short moment, what would you say to them? I've faced that many times with people during the course of my ministry. I have really, I have really seen that the time um, that I have lived in ministry, that you cannot, you cannot um, force the generation in which you are living to understand truth. It's got to be something that comes from the outside. In other words, they have to hear a new truth, a new truth that, that doesn't, it doesn't 
um, resonate to the selfish natures that we have, but resonates to something else on the outside, and that is, for us, uh, the message of Christ and Him crucified and risen. Our selfish natures would love to be able to say, uh, I've got this thing conquered. Um, I can do it myself. I can do everything without the help of some God somewhere. And yet, I have known in ministry those whose lives have been transformed, completely transformed by the message of Christ as he has touched them with his grace and mercy through the forgiveness of sins and the joy of knowing their relationship with him is now perfect. So we face the emptiness. As we face the emptiness, what we're really facing is a lack of him in our lives. We're, we're, we're missing the peace that surpasses all understanding that can only come from him. We can try to fill it with Christmas and wonderful songs and beautiful presents and all the other trappings that come along, and yet they may, they may fill the void for a moment. But in that dark moment or that quiet moment, when all of that subsides, we find ourselves back in the same place. The emptiness that you talked about is universal. It's not just here in America, it's everywhere, simply because of the fact that that people have not been taught as children by anyone responsible uh, that there is another way. Um, we live in a we live in a society that uh, that believes that uh, marriage can be just about anything you want it to be. Uh, our government today is really making some laws that will make, any kind of relationship possible. Um, and it would not be impossible to believe that that sometime, somewhere, you could marry your favorite animal. And with that kind of emptiness, there is no hope, true hope, confidence that something good can happen uh, as a result of, of, of our lives. It may be surprising for people to know that some of the worst conditions that happen in society, happen during festive times of the year, like Christmas. Um, the, greatest, um, the, the greatest percentage of, of suicidal attempts are made during festive times of the year, in particular Christmas. Why? Because someone has tried to fill the emptiness of, of what they experience with the thought that maybe this thing called Santa or maybe this thing called uh, Christmas gifts or um, the elves could bring some kind of hope, new hope to to their lives when they realize when it's all over, they have a gargantuan bill on their hand for purchasing things that they could not afford and they still are not filled with the hope of the promise that alone God can give. So I think that as a result of it, you know, we are facing some very difficult times, much more difficult than when I began in ministry. When I began in ministry, everyone knew where the church door was. Everyone didn't have to have the church door painted red to see it. They knew where it was. The pews were full. 
After church was over, you went to grandma's house for baked chicken. And that was the kind of youth, um, that was the kind of culture in which I began in ministry. Um, the, the, the real joy of those days in ministry was seeing not people's lives transformed, but people's lives being filled with special purpose and meaning in their daily walk. Um, everybody knew where the church door was. So if anyone was not in church, he had no place to go because everything was closed. Uh, there was an interesting thing that there was a time when, as a boy, we lived in the Phoenix area, and our dad was a pastor there, and we always told people that um, we knew that we're trying to make it to Los Angeles from Phoenix on a weekend. You must realize there are no gas stations open. There was nothing opened. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in the the very center part of the Phoenix area, a Jewish man opened his store and his gas station on a weekend, on a Sunday, because that's not their holy day. And it became known then to the Jewish population that this is where they could really succeed in providing um, places like stores and gas stations uh, especially for people on weekends. But up until that time, uh, they didn't have anything open. There were the blue laws also during those early days. The blue laws were that you could do nothing until 1 o'clock on Sunday. In other words, that that morning time and early afternoon time was meant for church and church-related activity. Would that be the case today? Um, we are pretty wealthy. Uh, wealth has taken away from people a need uh, for wanting to be able to ask for some assistance. Uh, and as a result of it, uh, most of the people in this particular country, they nod when you, when you talk about coming to a relationship with a God who can help you because they have believed that they have helped themselves because of the fact that they have resources and money to be able to do it. So as a result of all of this, we have to say God has been gracious to us and to me over all these years in ministry, but Advent for me is special because it ushers in two thoughts again. One, the thought of Jesus returning in his second coming. And the other thing is to remind us that God sent his only begotten son into the world to take upon himself the form of a man and become our rescuer for us, our reconciler to God for us. So with all that being said, you have one more question to ask me before we come to the conclusion of the program. I do. I do. Is there anything else that the Spirit's putting on your heart to share today that I could never think to ask about? I just think that maybe it's best that we would focus upon the only thing that has a, that makes a difference, and that's Christ and Him crucified and risen for us. Um, the world is going to find a way to negate this message but the message itself is solid, and that's the message 
of hope that we bring to the world this Advent and Christmas time. Thank you for being with us on this particular broadcast before Christmas of this year. Come back and be with us again on Engaging Truth. Good night. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.